This is a sermon podcast of the First Baptist Church of Boulogne in Hilliard, Florida. For more information, please visit www.fbcboulogne.org. Let's go ahead and uh, take uh, your Bibles to the book of Esther. We're going to finish up Esther tonight. And uh, while you're turning to Esther, Esther chapter 9, I've got... um, Several routes that um, I have thought about taking for our next study. But I'm going to ask you for input as well. If you have a book of the Bible, or maybe a doctrine, or maybe a person in the Bible, or just whatever, uh, I'll listen to you if you have a suggestion on what you would like our next Bible study to be. I may not do it. I mean, you know, I I will definitely consider it, you know, but, you know, if I have 10 suggestions, I can't do all 10 at the same time. So you get my point. But um, in any event, I'm just going to pass it out there. So give me a jingle. Let me know after church tonight or send me an email if you have an idea. Okay. All right. Learning to trust the unseen hand of God. Our final lesson tonight. This is going to be lesson number 12. Here's our lesson. Ready? Be deliberate. And be careful in remembering how God is at work in your life. I'll say it again. Be deliberate and be careful in remembering how God is at work in your life. The dark days of Haman and his influence over Xerxes and his threat against the Jews are now over. Esther, Mordecai, and the remainder of the Jews are now taking the necessary steps to remember and celebrate what God had done in saving them from destruction. We're going to pick up in Esther chapter 9 and verse 20. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Xerxes, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month Adar and also the 15th day of the same year by year as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So we begin with Mordecai. He's recorded the events. He is, he's just put down in writing everything that has happened and uh, uh, so that they won't forget, okay? Because if, if as traumatic as an event like that is, that generation who experienced it will be dead and gone. Another generation will come behind If they don't have it written down for them, how will they know, right? So it's kind of common sense. So he's very careful and meticulous to do that. In verse 22 that I just finished up with, it says they're going to be giving presents of food to one another and to gifts. It's emphasizing that this feast is going to be be an emphasis on community because that's exactly what was saved. After Haman had considered his plot, he was found out that was overturned. The community was now saved. They were redeemed. And this feast is now going to be a feast that's going to celebrate the fact that as a community, we are still here. It's interesting of the, um, the, the date that was given. And um, if you notice back on a, uh, verse uh, 21, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month, Adar. Now, that actually corresponds to our current time. And uh, 
Uh, if you'll bear with me, I had pulled up the date um, to tell you what exact dates it corresponds to. And somehow it got deleted off my, uh, off my notes here. So I'm trying to pull it back up. There we are. It was March the 23rd and the 24th. Okay, so if you were friends with any uh, Orthodox Jews during that time last week, then they would have been celebrating the Feast of Purim, you see. Okay, now if you'll notice, the, the, there was, it was very meticulous at how these notes were recorded. If you look at verse 23, so the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. Verse 24 starts beginning a description of what was written. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pure, that is, cast lots, to crush and to destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they called these days Purim after the term pure. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter and of all that they had faced in the matter and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring. There you go. And all who joined them that without fail, they would keep these two days according to what was written. And at the time appointed every year that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every clan, province, city, that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should their commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. They are adamant that this feast will continue as long as they exist on on planet earth. They were serious about this. If you would uh, read in the opening verses of the book of Judges, you will read that there arose another generation who did not know the work that God had done among his people. That's my version. But suffice it to say that in their history, they had times where they did not effectively pass along the teachings and the way that God had dealt with them and passed it on. And I'm telling you, it is incumbent upon you, it is incumbent upon me that we teach. We must teach the younger generation. Titus, that great pastor that Paul instructed, told him, older ladies teach the younger ladies. Older men, you teach the younger men. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the scriptures tell us as parents that we are to teach our children. When we rise up, when we lie down, when we walk along the way, when we do all of these things, we teach. I'm telling you, discipleship is critical to the success and the vitality of a church. It is not good enough to see people saved and baptized and then leave them alone. I believe it is almost rank heresy. To do just that. And we must be therefore very careful in our evangelistic efforts and the things that we do in reaching out that we offer a full spectrum, a full service like the, uh, like the gas stations of old. Full service. That was one of my first jobs, by the way. I pumped gas. It was at a full service gas station. I washed their windows. I checked their oil. Can you believe that? I'm old enough to have had that job. Isn't that something? So, 
Okay? And that, w- that was actually in the 90s. But that tells you a little bit about the town that I grew up in. We were Mayberry. We were a Saturday Night Live version of Mayberry. That's just the best way to put it. We were c- Mayberry, but different. So, all right. But if you look at verse 22 again, let's look at verse 22 because I don't want you to miss this. And as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, as the month that had been turned uh, for them from sorrow into gladness, from mourning into a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, that, when I read that, I immediately thought about, wait a minute, isn't that part of what Jesus did? Isn't there a description in the Bible? That describes a little bit, uh, using those words, or at least similar words, of what Jesus did for us. And of course there is. Psalm chapter 30, verse 11, although that's not necessarily a Christological psalm, but Psalm chapter 30 and verse 11 alludes to God doing something similar to what has been done here. Um, but Isaiah 61 is actually the, the, the key verse that I, I was thinking about. Uh, when I read this text, I'm going to read to you Isaiah 61, uh, verses 1 through 3. Oddly enough and interestingly enough, Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3, was the exact passage of Scripture that Jesus read from the scroll in Luke chapter 4 and told the hearers that upon you hearing this, this Scripture is now fulfilled. He was declaring himself now as the Messiah. And don't you remember that was a circumstance in which everybody got mad at him and they were going to chase him and throw him over a cliff. But remember, he turned and parted them and, and walked back through them and, and, and went on his way. Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the offspring, or in the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Listen to verse 3, To grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. You see kind of like a, 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 almost a parallel idea there happening? I sure do. Now, what happened during the Feast of Purim? Traditionally, what do the Jews do? I'm going to give you just um, uh, kind of a, a description here. It uh, certainly was a feast that was an anecdotal response to what happened because they named it Purim after Pur, which means casting lots. But they know, as well as we do, that Proverbs 16, verse 33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but a savory decision is of the Lord. Okay? But it's kind of funny. They're going to name they're going to name the feast after something that they know God is going to be in control of anyway. So in history, what has happened? Well, it is, it is in, okay, Passover is kind of like the big deal on the Jewish calendar, right? Passover is like, it's, it's it. Now, you had two major, hist- two, two major points of Jewish history. Pre-exile, post-exile. Post-exile refers to that time of Jewish history when they were now free. 
No more captivity of Egypt or any other country post-exilic. Okay? They were able to now go home. And don't you remember, I've mentioned to you all in the past that even in the book of Esther, even at this time, you had Jews back in Jerusalem rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the wall. You had all that stuff going on. So post-exilic, it was as big as Passover. Because this was, this was one of the end events of the Jews for the Old Testament. Okay, so it was, it was a very, very big, big deal. Purim was characterized by celebration, not a sacrifice. While other, uh, while, uh, uh, other uh, feasts, you know, there was a sacrifice of some sort. This had no sacrifice whatsoever. It was a celebration. Okay? It was a feast of excess with the 13th of Adar, uh, the day of fasting. So, they would, so they, they, would, they would go a day and fast and get their tummies good and empty. And they're going to celebrate for the next two days. Okay? That's what it was all about. Uh, during this feast, the book of Esther was read in commemoration. Usually it was done the night before because it would give them a reason to celebrate. And what was interesting is it was a very expressive and is a very expressive event. Listen to this. Jews during the, during the uh, Feast of Purim are permitted to wear various costumes that exhibit a role reversal of one nature or another because they want to point out how the tables were turned. How it was one thing one day and then in, in the course of literally minutes, if you remember the, uh, the Queen's Feast, right? When, when Xerxes and Haman were there, literally in a matter of minutes, the tables were turned. So they dress in clothes of a Gentile king to represent Mordecai. In the clothes of the wife of a Gentile king to represent Esther. And even in clothes of Haman. Jewish men may wear women's clothes and Jewish women may wear men's clothes. Isn't that crazy? During the days of the Purim, the text of Esther is read aloud. The scroll being folded to be read as a letter. And it's not, it's not in the traditional scroll format. They will have it folded and pretend that it's a letter. Why? Because remember the two big edicts of letters, Right? The first one went through all throughout the kingdom. Okay, Jews are going to be killed on this day. Then another letter went out. So they have it folded up. It's like a letter. You pull it out, read it. There you go. Furthermore, when the text is being read, the congregation is permitted to make noises of all kinds. Uh, Many times there's a rattle uh, type device that they will use, particularly when Haman's name is read so that the sound of the name is drowned out. So let's go down to um, verse 29. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihel, and Mordecai the Jew, gave full written authority confirming the second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Xerxes and words of peace and truth that these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them. And, they, and as they had obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their fasts and their lamenting, the command of Queen Esther confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. Now, chapter 10, these three verses. King Xerxes imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea. In all the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? 
For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. So we kind of end a little bit of where we began. Uh, remember at the beginning of the book, we, we, uh, well, it was after the queen, the first queen was deposed, the, the story kind of turned to Mordecai, remember? Mordecai was kind of like the, the center man of attention until Esther got the courage to go face the king. And we heard so much about Esther over the past several chapters, we end with Mordecai himself receiving his final uh, commendation. Um, so I gave you a uh, lesson here. And I'm going to read it to you again. Be careful, or rather be deliberate, and be careful in remembering how God is at work in your life. Let me work that phrase from from back to the front. First of all, God is at work. We have been talking about this in, in, in the 11 sessions prior. We've been talking about that God is always at work. We may not recognize it, see it, understand it, but God is always at work. And He is at work in your life. But if we choose to continue to ignore, then how will we ever know and and come to realize that, yes, He is at work? We have to intentionally, deliberately do things and have practices in our life so that we can see God at work, but we must also be careful that we don't go too overboard in this. And so let me give you three helpful pieces of advice that I see from this text. Number one, being deliberate, but yet being careful about remembering what God is doing in your life. Number one, do not undervalue the power of journaling. Do not undervalue the power of journaling. I encourage you to start tomorrow morning and in the time that you spend with the Lord, five minutes is, if that's all you can do, then that's fine. Write. Write down what your thoughts are. Write down what you're thinking about the text that you just read. This is a journal... It's one of many. This is one of my journals, and it's dated Tuesday, December 31st, 2002. It is a practice of mine to journal. And, 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 and I could read through here the things that, that God was doing in my life, in my ministry, in marriage, in all of these things. I was reading it uh, the, the other day. Um, wow. And I just, it's amazing to see, um, many things in, in here. You know, I, I mentioned to y'all Sunday, you know, Sunday's sermon was really a reflection of my journey with God. It really was. And, and the questions that I gave y'all in, in that sermon outline were really questions that I asked the Lord myself. And, but I, I can see exactly how God has grown me and continuing to, to grow me. I mentioned to y'all, uh, I know some time ago, but it was in this Wednesday night context that 
one of the cool things about having a younger pastor is you get to see me grow. And I hope that that's okay with you because it means that to see someone grow, that you're actually going to be down here for a while, right? You're going to have to be okay with that. Well, I'm okay with that watching you grow. I'm okay y'all being down here or here or here and, and watching your spiritual traje- tra- tra- trajectory. That's what I'm trying to say. And it's easier to spot it if you've got a scorecard. Now, I like to play golf. And I don't really always like to keep score because it lets me know where I am. But how do I know how to improve if I don't keep score? This, is, this journaling has been kind of a scorecard for me to see you know, where I've been and what's happening. So don't undervalue the power of journaling. How do I see this? If you were to go through the text that we just read, and if you were to highlight the, the words such as written, letters, account, written, recorded, you'll come up with no less than 13 or 14 occurrences of those terms. In other words, it is so saturated with the celebration and remembering what God had done with something that was somebody took the time to write. You see. All right, so number two, in proper ways, remember important spiritual anniversaries. In proper ways, remember important spiritual anniversaries. Now, uh, what am I talking about? I'm talking about, uh, well, just as... They, they wrote down specific dates, right? They wanted these dates to be remembered forever. There are certain dates or at least certain times in my life that were significant to me uh, personally. Such as August the 5th, 1999, I was ordained to the gospel ministry. Um, age of five, it's not a date, but it is an age. I remember the time of day. I know it was an evening because it was dark outside. And I know I can remember kneeling down in front of this 1970s, you know, oak-handled uh, rocking chair with the big uh, wool-looking stripe padding. I mean, it was straight out of a 70s picture on shag carpet, kneeling down, and my dad beside me, praying to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I remember that. I remember being baptized by uh, Brother Davenport, our preacher at the time. I remember the dates of starting my service at churches, including this one. Okay? They're important to me. Because as I look at those days, I, I see God's work in my life. And I, and I have seen that God was doing some things when those times started. Every, every ministry event that I was a part of or, or ministry context and an opportunity, they, had a, they, they contributed to me or contributed something special to me and something significant to me and my family. But now, we, in the New Testament, Paul actually gives sort of a caution about them. And, and I, we would be remiss if we didn't um, consider those. Well, well, first of all, we do need to know that, that Jesus himself uh, was kind of for us remembering certain days. In, in Luke chapter 19 and verse 9, in Luke chapter 19 and verse 9, remember he was uh, uh, 
traveling to coming into uh, Jericho and Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, you know I'm singing a song. I'm just reciting the song. You all remember the song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And you had to do the actions. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he, I, I, for, I just forgot it. Oh, Lord have mercy. He said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. For I'm go-. Okay. Verse 9, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So, so there you have it. But can you go too far with it? Oh, absolutely, you can. Um, in the book of Galatians, it's an interesting letter. Uh, and and um, um, Because for a church... Uh, the Church of Galatia, I mean, it was a good church. Um, I mean, they were pretty solid, but they started, they, they were almost getting reminiscent of the Hebrews in, in the letter to the Hebrews. They started kind of backtracking from grace through faith as the gospel and said, well, let's, let's, we can do some sacrifices and stuff. I mean, you know, come on. Well, they were starting to... Uh, uh, um, lose touch with the pure gospel and the true message of the gospel. And in Galatians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul told them, he says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Meaning that, okay, listen, guys, if you're going to live a Gentile salvation, meaning it's grace through faith, then why are you going to tell these guys they've got to start acting like Jews? What he was talking about is what happened in Acts chapter 15 with the whole issue of circumcision. Because they were required, they were, Peter and some others had a dispute over, well, these new believers, even if they're Gentiles, should we make them be circumcised? Because, you know, they're, no, 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 this is by grace through faith type thing. So, so they started mingling certain traditions, okay? So just, just remember that. That kind of gives us a theological base. Now go to chapter 4 and beginning of verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, now that's an interesting phrase right there. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. In other words, I think I've just wasted my time over you guys. Because why? They were starting to backtrack and starting to really revere days higher than what they should have. Okay? So we've got to be careful with not letting these important dates be control mechanisms for us. And uh, um, I can say, you know, I, the, the only thing that uh, 
uh, would have any sway over me in terms of control, I, I think would be the day that I remember that I got saved and I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Uh, I mean, that, that day is going to be very significant in my life and always will. But I don't want to revere those days to the point where I, I'm, I'm emphasizing the, event, the, 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 the time of the event rather than the event itself, you see. All right. So finally, we're going to end with this one. Number three, in, in, in remembering what God has done, being deliberate. Listen, use your story to inspire others. Use your story to inspire others. Now, I'm going to get very real with y'all, okay? Um, every one of us has a story, okay? We have a story of good things and bad things. We have stories of where we were victims, but we also have stories of where um, we were the violators, where we committed the crime. You see, we did the wrong thing. We committed a sin. We've got that. It's, it's in all of our backgrounds, okay? So, you know, don't act like you got one up on me, okay? You know, you're just like me. We've all screwed up in the past. We've done this. We've done whatever. But God is still gracious to us. He's good. To, he treats us far better than what our sins deserve. So rather than, let's not be proud of them, right? Okay, I, the mistakes in my life. I'm not proud of them, even though they happened, and I'll admit that they happened. I'm going to focus on God's grace. Why? Because of all the things I want people to remember is God's grace working in my life rather than what I did to get God's grace. And a young man I was mentoring one time, I asked him, I said, uh, I said, I want you to write your testimony. Okay, write your testimony for me, and uh, we'll meet again with it next week. He came up with a testimony, page and a half. I mean, like eight and a half by 11 pieces of paper, filled up one page, half of the next page. One full page, he talked about his drug and alcohol and being in gangs. And then on to the next side, about another line or two. And then he spent like the last three lines talking about, and when I accepted Jesus, it was all right. It was all good now. Okay. I said, let me ask you this. What do you want me to remember about your testimony when I walk away from here. And he thought for a minute and he, and he got it. And so he stepped back and revised it. And he included drug and alcohol abuse. Yeah, he, he mentioned the, the, the gang stuff. But he spent more time on the grace of God and how it just arrested him. And what it had done for him. And then he spent the remainder of that document talking about his life after Jesus, you see. So why do we say that use your story to inspire others? Well, did you catch the very last line of the book? Mordecai, verse 3. For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers. Why? Because he sought the welfare of his people. And spoke peace to all his people. He was not using his rank. His experience. He was not using anything of who he was. To advance himself. He used every bit of everything that he was. For the good of the people. Now. This speaks volumes to us. Okay. In this way. Remember. Don't ever forget me telling you this. As a church. The number one priority. Of our church people. Okay? We should have no sacred cows. We should not have anything present within our church where we say 
I want that more than I want the way it was helping people. Because what if what you had wasn't helping anybody? That's the reason why in 2012, I'll never forget, I'm in St. John's Townsend and getting ready to walk into Lifeway. It was September-ish or maybe November-ish or so. Yeah, maybe around November 2012. Tom Cook calls me. Say, hey, Pastor Chris. Yeah. I said, I, I've got a great Easter uh, production here, I think, and, and just want to run it by you. And on the phone in Lifeway at St. John's Town Center, he talked about the story. I said, wow, Tom, that sounds good. I said, here's what we're going to do. I said, let's run it for three years. And then let's just kill it. And let's see what God's going to do with it. Okay. Let's take it. In other words, do it for three years. Take a year off and see what happens. Okay. And just see, kind of see where we are. The point was, we don't want anything here to be the tail that's going to wag the dog. You follow me? Mordecai used every bit of, of who he was and his influence to help people. Not for, for his own gain. He, he, his point was not to you know, be Mordecai. His point was to be a kingdom person. Okay? And I think one of the things that kind of arrests us in hindering us is the fact that we will elevate something that should not be elevated and we'll focus more on an event. I'm going to give you another thing. We're going to be uh, in our Acts 118 meeting. We're going to be critiquing the Easter egg hunt. We're going to ask the question, is it worth us doing next year? Okay. Now, I've got my own opinion. Okay. And I think we'll probably all be on the same opinion. But my point is we want to make sure we are always offering the best. In every ministry, we have to be that. And, and uh, interesting conversation. And, um, uh, well, I'm over time. Lord have mercy. I, I'll keep rambling if I don't. But I would love to talk more about this point because I, I don't want you to lose the importance of us serving people. Okay? It means that the money and the bottom line is, is not it. It's not the facilities. It's not products. It's not whatever. It's people. Okay? So if you want to be effective in, in remembering and being deliberate on how God has moved in your life, you use God's work in your life to inspire other people. All right. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the First Baptist Church of Boulogne in Hilliard, Florida. For more information, please visit www.fbcboulogne.org.